You're listening to the Schaefer Shakedown. I don't really have an intro, but here we go. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Here, I don't have an intro, but here we go. Welcome back to the Schaefer Shakedown. It's been one week. Um, It's been. (laughs) It's been. I mean, the it's been. I haven't heard that one in a while. It um, happened reflexively. I'm a little bit ashamed, but it was like I know. the doctor tapped my knee with one of those weird little triangle hammers. <laughs> it just shot out. I couldn't stop. It is. It's kind of in the same vein as that's what she said. <laughs> it's like compulsive. Yeah. Like you can't yes. help it sometimes. You just like, it's my too wife. good. My yeah. wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll get to uh, ubiquitous jokes in a little bit. But first, <laughs> Caitlin. How are you? I'm good. I think that statement had both a question mark and a period at the end of it. And I think that's Uh accurate. I'm doing well. Um, Better. The last few months were so hard that like every day that's not the last few months does feel better. Um, That's good. But yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And you. Some wounds. It's been cold here. I wonder when it's cold in LA, what is it like in Joshua Tree? So it's winter. It's snowing today, actually, in the area. Wait, um, what? I know snow. Let's. It's not quite in Joshua Tree. The ground, like on the road. Yeah. Yes. In in the tree of Joshua, it is snowing, flakes of frozen water from the air to the ground. I did uh, not know that was possible there. It snows out here. It winters out here. There's only the one hot season. The rest of the seasons are seasons. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the mystery to people from L.A. who live a seasonless existence. Where, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, like the signature weather of a place is just always that way um, right. in L.A. mind. And I understand and respect that I have lived that way. I grew up in Napa, also a seasonless place. But here it is all of all of the four. All four happen uh, out in the desert. And winter is wintering currently. Um I was trying to use an almanac to like help me plant some stuff. And on a particularly sunny day, I was just throwing in some seedlings like, yeah, but it's hot. Like, right. how is it ever going to be cold? And then, you know, you flip the, the almanac's like, no, it's going to frost again next week. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right, book. <laughs> and then cut to this week and there's snow. So that's crazy. Well done, book. You were right. I get, um, I, my seedlings, they're still struggling. They're not struggling. They're just stunted i don't know they're they're still they are growing but i Mm -hmm. just perceptually i I just feel like they should be bigger than they are and Mm -hmm. um i think some of it might be the the we had a very warm snap and followed by a very cold snap and i'm wondering if the um ambient temperature in the garage kind of like stunted them a little but um worse comes to worse just go by the seedlings. Also, I think if I was to transplant them, as long as they weren't too delicate and I did all the process of hardening them off, even mm-hmm. if they were very small, once I get them outside and it's warm enough, they'll just shoot right up. They'll boom. Um, yeah. So some of them, I think, you know, I always wonder, like, is it, you know, like early childhood, like in those first five years, if they don't get the proper, <laughs> the proper nutrition, they'll be they'll be fucked there later in life, you know? And so that's yes, what I worry yeah. about. I worry about my children in this way. Um, <laughs> and what I need to remember is that the advantage I have living in Los Angeles is that even if something um, gets out a little later than it's supposed to, we have such a long growing season. As long as I keep them from like burning in the hot, hot summertime, they'll keep going mm-hmm. through literally December. 
um, yeah. some of the plants. So it's all good. We also, winter's late out here. We forget, you know, it's kind yeah. of wintry everywhere that we're used to there being winter. But California, early spring is chilly. Like, it's just a cold yeah. time of year here. Um, yeah. And it fall is not cold the same way. I feel like we forget. No, fall, fall is hot. nibble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fall is hot here. And fall cold is just a different kind of cold. Yeah. It's like wetter and yeah. like... Cold, spring cold is windy. It's like windy, in the air, yeah. not on the air. If that, if you know what I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a little different. Um, yeah, it's a bitier, bitier cold. Yeah, um, as I am experiencing um, on the tip of my nose. That is the area yeah. that um, you got a little nip. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I accept any and all tips from true winter dwellers as to how one protects the tip of their nose, especially because I'm fussy about the breathing. I really don't, I'm fine with masks, wear them everywhere I can breathe in those, but the, uh, over time, like my face being too smooshed, smooshed face, Mm, mm -hmm. um, like too much layer flannel, something that would actually keep me warm, uh, as opposed to safe or healthy, uh, is always, I'm not, I'm not going to very large beanies, the baklava beanies that go all the way down. I'm not, I can't do that. It's too much. You need the, uh, Lenny Kravitz, the Lenny Kravitz, like the, the scarf that is so big oh, that it wraps yeah, around almost your whole head and body <laughs> the stunt of that man yeah. oh i kind of forgot for a minute one of my Thank favorite pictures yeah <laughs> i also have been practicing piano i i bought oh, yeah. a very nice electric piano um in december and it is gorgeous top of the line just like one of the nicest things i've ever had and That's I wanted, I ended up, I was going to get a real piano, a real upright piano, but they're really big. You can't control the volume the way, that, and, and they're just, you can't do as much with them. Yeah. Um, and I, so I went to the store and I was like, I bet you there's some really nice electric ones. Cause I've had keyboards in the past and they're a nightmare in terms of like, <laughs> they, they're, they look <laughs> terrible on the stand. There's chords yeah. everywhere. They, um, you know, even the ones with weighted keys that are supposed to feel like real piano keys, if you get a cheap one, it's just not the same. And mm-hmm. so we went to a piano store um, and I went straight to this one because of the the case, you know, um, that it was in looked like a real piano. And it was like this light, you know, f- wood and it looked so nice. And I just sat down at it and, and I just turned it on and just started playing. And I was like, ooh. This sounds so good and it sounds so and feels so real. It's to me, there's almost no difference. Plus you get like a thousand different sounds and, you know, you can mix your, you can record different tracks. You can put headphones on, you can turn the volume up and down and all that. So yeah, I have been enjoying playing it, but, um, I'm, I've been trying to play a little bit every day. I have, a goal. One is just, it's one of the few things that I do strictly for me mm-hmm. and it's not meant to be consumed by other people. Those are I, so hard to find. The time I know. For. Cause it Congratulations is, on the commitment. It's something I am deeply struggling with at the moment. Yeah. I got to get out of the, everything's for everybody else and that's the way it needs to be. And that's really fulfilling. And even yeah. the stuff for me is like necessary, but man, those it, 10 it's, or 15 minutes. It's insidious it, too about yeah. how, how you'll be doing something you think is just for you and your, your brain will immediately start going, 
I should turn this into something. I should post about this. I should talk about this on stage. And piano or has I always should be better at this. Like yeah. there's still external comparison to somebody else's skill or somebody else's taste where like that's still not internal. If you know, yeah, yeah. just truly for you, truly yeah. doing it for yourself. It is so and whatever it is. It's weird because piano is a musical instrument. It's meant for performance, but when I was um I, I want to say I was in probably 5th or 6th grade, there was a church talent show and I was going to play the piano at the church talent show and I was going to play the song The Rainbow Connection and Oh no, no dry eyes, dry eyes in that I house. Played, Tiny I, little stairs. I practiced playing. it so much and I am oh. my parents my parents didn't want us to be children who were workhorses in terms of like the hobbies we were learning and like they weren't like you have to become an Olympic athlete if you're going to start taking <laughs> soccer. You have to, you know. So our piano teacher was, I think my little, my my older sister, this is the story as I remember it. My older sister was, who started first because she was the oldest. And the first piano teacher she had was really strict and like hit her with a ruler type of thing. <laughs> like, yeah. and so my parents were like, no. absolutely not not. we don't need that and so they went and found this other piano teacher and I think they had they like sought out a teacher that was going to be chill so the result though is that I didn't learn technique in a way that was uh I just didn't learn technique very well I learned the basics but I also loved piano so what I end up now fast forward all these years later and I'll get back to the the piano the talent show in a second but fast forward all these years later I'm a I can play by ear and I can read music but I can only read music if I've heard the song before <laughs> so I get yep yeah like I know yeah. the rhythm of the song then I can play it but if I have never heard the song before and you put sheet music in front of me <sighs> it's a fucking mess cuz I don't know what the counts are I'm learn I I took piano lessons um a few years ago in LA and I I I learned and relearned a few basic things that I was like oh right that's how you count in the measure the time signature sure. and that's what those notes mean um, but still, it's very challenging for me if I if I don't know what the song sounds like, I can't really play it, even if the music is in front of me. So anyway, at this talent show, I was had memorized the Rainbow Connection. I didn't need the music. I I knew it so well. I played it like a hundred times a day. <laughs> so it's the day of the talent show, and my mom is like, we're like getting ready to leave, and she goes, "Where's your piano music?" I mean, she doesn't know what I'm doing. She has no idea what my sure. process is. How dare she? I'm an artist. So I'm well, like... Inside your journey. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need the music. Haven't you been Mom. hearing me play it? I don't need the music. You can see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> She's uh-huh. like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. Are you sure, Mom, though? I know it. Please. Mm. Please. I don't mm-hmm. even look at it. I can sit down right now and play it for you sight unseen. The, the notes mean nothing to me anyway. I mean, it was basically the teacher showing me how to play it, you know? So I go to the freaking talent show. Mm -hmm. There's probably 500 people in the audience. And I get up on stage and I cannot start the song. 
I don't remember the first note. I can't play it. I freeze my hand. My hands turn into claws and I'm sitting there in total silence and I start sobbing, sitting in front of the whole church. And my sister, older sister Chrissy, had to come get me and like pull me off stage. (laughs) I think she tried to help. She's like, does it start like this? Like none of us knew because we didn't have the sheet music. And so at that point, I became very uh, afraid of performing piano in front of people, but I still loved playing. So I played for myself from then on out. And it was always something I've said to myself, well, you're just not very good at piano. It's just something that you do for you. You like Mm -hmm. the sound of it. No one else cares. And there's been a couple times over the years where like in college, I did a song in my sketch comedy group and I like hit a few notes while I was up there, but I can barely play in front of people. I just freeze up and it's still there. And so my goal even though I'm still playing for myself for the most part, I would love to, because, you know, you go to a comedy show at Largo, at the improv, yeah. on the road, and there's a piano right there on stage, and you're just yep, like, yep. it's calling to me. And so it's one right day, I just want to have, I want to play the Rainbow Connection in front of a huge audience. <laughs> I want to reclaim I mean, my glory. I do feel like you're at a beautiful point. Uh, in a, as a evolved human in a, on an artistic journey where you could either play the rainbow connection incredibly well in front of people or handle the panic with an elevated level of grace that only a stand-up com- comedian exactly. could possess. Yeah. Where there's no bad way for this performance to go. It'll either be a charming song that I'll enjoy or it will be a hilarious expose of your innermost fears which yeah. you navigate with, with aplomb and grace. <laughs> Well, I've been thinking about this. It's funny you say that because I've been thinking about this for a while. And for years now, I've been dreaming of doing this. And now I feel like I have a piano that I want to practice on. That was the problem is that I had a nice keyboard before. But like I had to put a plastic cover on it to keep it from getting Mm. dusty. And it was ugly. And like this is a piano with the cover. I just sit right there and I, I play in the afternoon right before dinner time, which is what I used to do growing up. that's cute. You know, and so I've been doing that and I haven't started learning the Rainbow Connection yet. I'm just getting having fun right now. But I at Largo, which we talked about last time when I opened for Tig, she has a new bit, which I won't give away, but it involves her messing around on the piano in one of the funniest ways possible. (laughs) And it's very different from anything I would do. Um, And she I mean, I'm not giving it away when I say she can't play but like she she's taunting you in a way where you're like can she you know (laughs) like and she's even joking about that too she's like I know it seems like I'm gonna sit down and just start playing because I'm teasing you but (laughs) anyway I won't tell the whole it's a whole story she tells it's so funny (laughs) and that again that reinforced my desire to like use this instrument that I have funny story about that I have a passion for but even if I did the the um, Rainbow Connection goal, again, that's for me. That is that yeah. is not for the audience. <laughs> that's for me, a journey I'm on with myself. <laughs> Can I ask, would it be easier accompanied if you had another musician playing with you? If it wasn't Spotlight on Sarah solo time, honestly, would it be- 
it that might stress me out more in more. that it, yeah. it might because yeah. keeping up and like not being able to stop and start, you know, um, because I, I know why I assume playing a musical <laughs> instrument is easier with someone else. Other than they well, used to do say, that when you learn an instrument in band, but like intuitively, it I helps know how much though. Hard, like the level of communication is still very high. It's demanding. Yeah. There's pressure, but also I actually think that practicing with other musicians, whether you end up playing mm-hmm. with them or not, is very helpful because one of the things in high school, I started playing guitar and I was playing in this like church group I was in and to keep up with the real guitar players made forced me to get better at guitar because I had oh, to keep up and it just forced me to move faster. And that's one thing about piano too is like I'll get where I'm pausing before a new part because I'm getting my shit together, I get to the hard part and I'm like, okay. And then your Hang fingers on. do this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's been really fun to play. And sometimes like on, you know, on nights where Scott and I are, are drinking, we'll not every night. Don't sure, accuse sure. me of being an alcoholic. <laughs> I said I moved. Not at all. I didn't say anything. Did didn't, she didn't even move. Um, <laughs> Some nights when Scott and I, one of our favorite things to do when we drink is um, play music. Like, remember this song? Like, remember this song from the 90s, you know, and we just go wild and we'll like open up a Pandora's box. Playing closing time at the end of the night in your own house. Just. Yeah. Well, well, and (laughs) so. Piano. (laughs) Yep. Well, when we got the piano, I started, he's like, okay, play this Lana Del Rey song. And so I'm trying to, I'm just playing and singing terribly. He's singing too. Like. And it's one of my favorite things that we do together, Um, which, by the way, really quick before we move on, I do have to shout out Scotty Boy, because if you saw my social media this week, it was our 12 year anniversary. I did see that. he, He dug up a video from the first night we met. I'm about to my eyes are getting misty just talking about it that I didn't know he still had. And I don't even think I've ever even seen it. I knew it existed. I had a memory of it. Right. I remember him having a camera, whether it was like, and see, this was the days of like, before iPhones were good at taking video, it was like limited amount of time you could film. It was, it was very rudimentary, even just 12 years ago, how, how much has changed. But, um, and it's just this little clip of me on the subway with some other people from the comedy show we were at and it's very much like the footage you would see at a funeral. (laughs) <laughs> you know memory of a dead wife <laughs> it is it's like the dead wife footage like she's laughing it's Which... like in a movie when they show the you know footage of before she oh, dies or, or was murdered i hope that this is youtubable but if you've never seen emily <laughs> maya mills tell her joke about the her auditions to play memory of a dead wife <laughs> yeah um <laughs> The phrase, my earring, uh, has been uttered in my house uh, more times yes. than I care to admit. Find it yes. wherever it is available. Yes. Uh, and if it's not, then I respect Emily for keeping that one close to the vest. What a powerful card to be able to play. Yeah. Such a it's good really. Oh, my God. That whole concept is so funny. Um, but yeah, that, that video he posted. And of course, I, I move it over to Twitter. I put it on Twitter. I should have known. I should have known what would happen. <laughs> you get some shitbirds in your comments making... Like the most inappropriate responses, like some people were like, um, gee, this is like a stalker, you know, like making that saying like, well, if you hadn't married him, this would have been creepy behavior. 
and it found it all sounded like projection. It sounded each each response like that, even if they were joking, to me sounded like a guy going, "Well, when I film a woman on the subway, it's creepy." Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, yes. but yeah, it is actually. Yes, yeah, though, but that is yes. yes. And it's like, uh, hey, I posted a thing saying how much I love it, and also you can see in the video that I'm fine with. He's not like down the subway car zooming in on me like a stranger and we just met. Yeah, the direct eye contact with the camera really lends the... the, (laughs) I'm like flirting with the the camera. The credibility it needs. Yeah, and it's just that old thing where they go back, well, when when a woman likes you, it doesn't matter. It's like, no, it's called consent, you dumb fucks. You can see that I've given it. (laughs) Exactly, dude. Exactly. Like, I don't know, like... Man, when my behavior is warranted and welcome, it's received differently. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? <laughs> y- yeah, man. Yeah. Uh huh. When you yeah. see, like, when I don't stop at the store to pay, they tackle me. But when I go to this register thing, it's totally cool for me to walk <laughs> out the door. <laughs> yeah, there's steps. Exactly. There's a process that you go through. Like, I'm pushing the gas pedal. My car won't go anywhere just because I won't use this gay key. Sorry. That's great. You should use that. Not to be that person, but you should use that <laughs> when you make your triumphant return to the stage. Um, so, oh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. speaking of jokes and stand-up comedy and... Um, the internet and all of it. There's no transition here. I have no intro, no transition. This is just, just bare get bones. Get on the train and ride. Jump <laughs> off when you think you're near your stop. <laughs> exactly. If you can't run fast enough to catch it, you miss the dang train. <laughs> yep. Um, so we're going to take a real turn here. I'm just going to dive right in. So, Caitlin, I've got a question for you. Quest. Now, I've heard this. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this? Have you heard that we're not allowed to joke about anything anymore? Have you heard that? We can't say that. Don't say that, Sarah. You can't <laughs> you get, say that. You can't. Did you the get the thing, memo? You definitely can't joke about how you can't joke about anything anymore. No, they'll, yeah. they'll put police tape over the cover of your special if you do that. Right. We're not allowed to even speak. That I don't know if you heard that. Um, comedians aren't allowed to speak. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so yeah, that's it. That's the end of this Moma, podcast. And no. <laughs> I can't. I say like Flarst Amernment and I can't get it. It's like the Fnift Againment. I can't. I'm not allowed to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like for some reason that one of the main things that people say, like when they're talking about you're not allowed to say anything anymore. What they're referring to is typically jokes that contain bigotry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, it's like you're I love the anymore and the allowed like the allowed? Like yeah, nobody Right. You are definitely allowed. Yeah. It's, so You're so allowed. <laughs> here 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 we gonna we're gonna go down we're gonna go down rant lane here. So and specifically I think that right now at the top of the list of the things that we are apparently not allowed to joke anymore about is trans people. Okay? Hear me out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're not allowed to joke about that anymore, even though 
it's literally one of the only jokes you hear from a certain side of the political and comedy spectrum. It's literally their only joke. And it's one of the most ubiquitous jokes in our culture, but apparently it's not allowed. Okay. Yep. So to be Mm -hmm. clear, I'm not saying that now before we go, before we go any further, just want to make it clear. I'm not saying that doing jokes about trans people uh, before. uh, Hold on. Let me rephrase that. I'm not talking about jokes that involve what it's like to be a trans person or even jokes. I can't imagine anything more hilarious in the human condition. There is so much to joke about. Yeah, there's actually a lot there. About gender in general. But boy, if you've examined your gender and you're able to communicate about it with yourself at such a deep level, there's it's hilarious. Like, yeah, exactly. So that yeah, that's the distinction I'm talking about. I'm not saying that any joke involving trans people is bad or hacky. And I think that's the distinction here. Um, I'm talking about a specific type of joke about trans people. And you know the ones. There's a list that's pretty short. The, my pronouns are beep, boop, bop. (laughs) (laughs) Pronoun jokes, okay? Like that. Um, Or adding to the abbreviation LGBTQ... Like, I stand with the LGBTQ plus at LMNOP hashtag community. When does it end? You know, like that. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. joke, we've all heard it. And then there's the replace the term man or woman with a gender gender neutral term joke. This, of course, is one of Mm -hmm. Ben Shapiro's favorites. Ben Shapiro, if you don't know, (laughs) is one of the leaders of the intellectual dark web. He is so smart that he talks as fast as the micro machine man. He's he's a very fast talker. And as we know, talking really fast is the sign of a great mind. But you know, now, what? I don't he'll never be taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> He is he is a not only does he talk as fast as the micro I was gonna try to make a micro joke, but it's just not it's not coming together. Um I don't know how any of us are able to keep up with his mind, honestly, but, and, and when I imagine Ben Shapiro's face or even hear his name, I'll admit I do gag a little, um, not because he's ugly, which he is, (laughs) which I know that's so mean. I normally would never call another person ugly, but it's attitude. It's his attitude there. Yes. He may not be ugly, objectively speaking, even though some people probably would say he is. When you combine his face with the ignorant filth that comes out of his mouth, he's topping out at a two or three max. Yes. Okay. I mean, if you would, if I had never heard anything you said and you just showed me a picture, it might be like, sure. Fine. But once you realize what he's about, you you know. Yeah, no. And, and I don't know what it is, but there's just something about certain right-wing grifters that they so often look like they got kicked in the head by a mule. Like, that's just a <laughs> like something about them. <laughs> I mean, it could. It it does make some kind of sense. <laughs> now, I, I know 
a lot of people try to say that Ben Shapiro is one of the reasonable conservatives out there, which is bizarre because all I see him doing is pushing fascist talking points. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I guess the reasonable side is still really into fascism. Like, yeah. I think that's just something we have to. Oh, yeah. It's just polite. Is that the yeah. appeal of fascism is like strong. Like, and yeah. the idea of like World War II was bad and we were the good guys. And like, no, people actually loved fascism everywhere, including here. It's still a really tempting thing. The fact that we fought for values other than that, it's a complicated yeah. mix. But yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess they're successful talking points because they always have been because it's actually an appealing structure of government to a weird slice of society. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I, I hate I, I've said this before about people like him, like Barry Weiss, like I hate giving them any attention because mm-hmm. this is what they want. But there is a reason I bring this up. So bringing it back to what we what I was talking about before, you see, Ben likes to think of himself as funny. And one of the ways he demonstrates this is by making the same joke over and over and over again. On Mother's Day and Father's Day, if, if you are on Twitter at all, you know this. He will always, without fail, post something like, Happy birthing person of unspecified gender day! <laughs> you can just hear him giggling like a, a teen... <laughs> Yeah, like a teen boy with clammy hands and a perpetual unexplained boner as he pushes send. <laughs> you know, he's that type. So the other day, he tweeted out for what I'm certain is probably probably the thousandth time he's made this joke. And it is the top transphobic joke out there, I think. It, it's it's everywhere. It, it's the, the rat king of all the transphobic jokes and of course, I'm speaking about the ident- I identify as joke. You know Classic. the one. Anyone mm-hmm. can play. You simply say, I identify as, and then you fill in the blank with something crazy like balloon animal. Hilarity ensues. Right? We've all heard this joke done in some way, shape, or form. So this is what Ben tweeted out. Putin should just tell them the invasion self-identifies as a domestic security arrangement and to respect the pronouns. I mean, he's so, it's one of those conservative, like, you're almost right, where, like, yeah, that is how propaganda works, that it changes the name of some obvious evil thing and makes it palatable and good, like, or not good, but somehow, it, you, yes, that's neutralized language. Correct, Ben. Yeah, good job. You identified yeah. the tactic. Yeah, and it's, it, I, I just hear that and I go, toot toot, what's that noise? That's the sound of my favorite kind of horn, a shoehorn. You know, guys, hey, I could do jokes, too, Um, because even in conversations about (laughs) even in conversations about the Ukraine, people are going to find a way to shoehorn in a joke, throwing trans people under the bus like they always bring this into topics that have nothing to do with it. And not only that, but they're using the same joke over and over again. And to me, it's the punching bag. That everyone just goes to the scapegoat, and and I always hear like the oh. left is so obsessed with gender identity. Leave it alone. And I'm like, no, you guys can't let it go. You just can't let people live. You're obsessed with it. It's creepy. Oh, I mean the height of the bathroom bill discussion, which you notice is not 
anybody's top concern anymore. Oh, now like it was a really right. manipulative piece of propaganda just meant to yeah. scare and terrify and hurt people. Like now it's yeah, trans children. Now it's we've got a now you're going to get fired as a teacher if you don't report a trans child or a child expressing gender um, dysmorphia. Uh, they have to report in Texas. This just came out today. The governor yeah. is recommending that teachers report it to CPS to Child Protective Services for abuse. And this is in their laws in Florida. They're trying to pass the don't. What is it? Don't say gay. Don't say gay. You know, it's like, sounds like you really want to talk about being gay. Why are you even I, bringing something this you're up? you're telling yourself in the fucking mirror. Like, and I, that's the, also a very low <laughs> joke of like, you know, oh, he hates gays because he's gay. But that isn't, like, that also takes some nuance out of a very real conversation where like gender identity is something that people who depend on it really fiercely protect. Where if like you don't have another fulfilling source of identity and you've right. wrapped your identity up entirely in your gender, mm-hmm. you feel this strange Threatened. threat that comes right. from any change sim- to that structure because you wear pink and you have worn pink <laughs> since you were put in pink. And like the refusal or like, I'm a boy who plays with trains and trucks. Well, good done. You still can. Like, I just don't, like, nothing has to take away that expression. But unless we, like, the fragility of that expression is like, yeah, because it's not coming from your internal voice. That's a very externally exposed idea of what gender is. It's similar. Conforming to and threatened by any shake to that because you don't know who you'd be without it. Yeah, and that is scary. So, like, go ahead and be scared, but it's not gonna fix it. it. It's similar to race in that white people are the ones obsessed with race more because we're trying to protect this construct that we've all, you know, that 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 white people invented in order to oppress other people and and for it to be threatened in any way then all the whole thing comes tumbling down and so the most fragile and race obsessed people of all are white people because they came up with the concept you know um so anyway um the identity i the i identify as joke it's so i see it so so much i mean it's just it's a broken record and apparently this is something we're not allowed to joke anymore about anymore um even though it's everywhere to the point where it's crazy how hacky it is and even though i'm certain that the joke probably goes back further there was a meme i, I looked this up where, where does the i identify as joke you know where might it have started there was a meme hmm. that started in 2015 so seven years ago now with the words, I identify as an attack helicopter. And it was a meme that, of course, gained that. popularity, as you might have guessed, in internet forums where, oh, you know, neo-Nazis like to gather. <laughs> and <laughs> where they always, all the best stuff comes from there. Um, and there are lots of really hacky jokes that have permeated our culture. At the beginning of this episode, we, you know, it's been and like, um, that's what she said. And like, mm-hmm, there's jokes mm-hmm. that 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 sort of take over. But not all of them are bigoted. So obviously, um, what I'm trying to say is this idea that this joke, these transphobic jokes, uh, 
are edgy or brave in any way is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. So if you're doing, if you're a comedian, this is me speaking to comedians out there. In fact, the ones that do this, I actually kind of hope they don't hear this (laughs) because I don't want to be attacked by their fans. But so if you're a comedian doing I identify as jokes in 2022, just know that you're doing meme humor from at least seven years ago. You, the philosopher king, the truth teller and the present day Bill Hicks or George Carlin or whatever, whoever it is you fancy yourself to be, you are doing jokes so old that Mike Huckabee is doing them. You are on the level of Mike Huckabee comedy wise doing an I identify as joke now is like going up on the stage and saying, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? And then you declare yourself a genius. Like if anyone and and if anyone pushes back on your joke or says it's not funny, well, they're just simply trying to cancel you, of course. And then you say back, well, we can no longer joke about chickens like we used to. And if I, legend tier comic, cannot joke about chickens, then how can we normalize the chicken experience? What I'm doing is helping. It's my duty. Nay, it is my calling to describe the experiences of chickens to them, even though I am not one. So that chickens may laugh about their own persecution once and for all. I have freed the chickens. See what I'm doing here? I'm replacing a human with an animal. And so now everyone gets the point. Get it? (laughs) By by the way, even the first person who made the I identify as joke was a hack as well. Because guess what? That's just an old joke with a new coat of paint. Or should I say a new coat of hate? It's just... Because it's just a new version of gay marriage. What's next? People are going to marry their dogs. Ah! (laughs) Remember those jokes? Oh, yes. I I mean, every time. Every era of edgy comedy. And I don't know how to do air quotes hard enough without shattering all of the knuckles (laughs) in my fingers. It's all like it's (laughs) there's never been a funny joke. In that edge, like no, because it, all like because the, punching down is right. never funny, and the the down part gets hard. Like I don't know, almost feels condescending, but right. Well, the punching I don't have down, a phrase for I it think at the moment it's yes, I agree. Punching down is never funny. That mantra has become overused to the point where now it's meaningless because there, it, it's funny to somebody. But who are the people that find that funny is the question, right? Like, there are people who find racist and bigoted jokes hilarious. Why do they find them hilarious? It's not normalizing gay people. It's normalizing their hate of gay people. And And neutralizing it. Yes. It's so much different than saying, I hate gay people. You can just make a little Nazi move with your hands and a little voice and everybody laughs and it's funny. Yeah. But you're saying, you know, what you're saying is similar and you want it to be different. But it, like, yeah, the circle in that Venn diagram's too big. And it's, right. It, like, the common thread in these types of jokes is you're holding up a human being and you're dehumanizing them by literally comparing them to an animal or an object. And getting everyone else to point and laugh at that. So saying, I identify as a, you know, toaster oven. You're saying that you're, through the transitive property, you're saying that trans people are not human beings. 
That's what you're doing. You're dehumanizing. You can do the joke all you want, but admit what you're doing. That's what drives me crazy about this. They act like they're doing some noble deed when in fact you're just being a shithead. <laughs> like that's all you're doing. Um, and it's predicated on this like, yeah, because, but like, we're supposed to believe that, but there's two, jet, but duh, doinkies and VJs. Like, it's, uh, there are wieners and winkies, duh. <laughs> like, mommy told me that like, boys have penises and girls have a baby, geez. And having they to do the exhaustive say. game of, like, actually just like every form of genetic expression, sex is pretty broadly spread apart uh, across the whole range. Of expression that we see in human form, just like all hair isn't curly or bone straight or eyes aren't either brown or blue. There are or people aren't either seven feet tall or four feet tall. You'll notice that there's some variance, despite the fact that there are usually, you know, uh, yeah, it's yeah, so much more complex. It's so dismissive of just like the human experience in general to like for all of those jokes to be just predicated on that, like, you know. On that basis, that anyone who doesn't get that there are two genders is dumb, is like, or you just only remember five minutes of a freshman biology course in which you saw two letters representing uh, sex chromosomes and stopped right there. And, you know, you saw two letters together once, so that's how genetic expression works, is like... That's ignorance that's tough to combat because that information isn't exactly hard to come by. You can walk down the street and see it. Um, yeah. But. Well, and it's the why do you, I've always just gone back to why do you care? How does it affect you at all? And then people go, well, that's why they've gone to these extremes of targeting trans children because they can go, well, I'm protecting children. I'm protecting children from child abuse. Like that's, so they're now, they've gone to that level. If or, you want to protect yeah. children from child abuse, just go get the child abusers. Like it, they are yeah. not <laughs> difficult to find. They aren't hiding. Every school, every troop, every church, just go yeah. look and then get them right. out. The irony of that when priests just get moved around to church after church because we yeah. don't want to hurt his feelings. But, but he was so nice with the potluck. Like, and you, you know, uh yeah, the yeah. abusers aren't that hard to find. Like, you know them, and the problem right. is you work with them. The problem is you go to church with them. The problem is that you know them socially, and you aren't willing to accept that you've come, that you're close to something yeah. like that. But we all are. Everybody is. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, does my that... voice resonate with somebody who's been too close? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> trust me, it's, don't shake your family tree that hard. Like... That's yeah. where you'll find what actually needs to be taken care of. Um, well, that's what we're, I've talked about um, on this podcast before with my sister about um, people experiencing homelessness, like that people demonize them and go, there's child abusers in there, in that encampment. There's child abusers in there. I'm like, there's, and they're drug users. There's child abusers and drug users in your house. In the house. <laughs> it's know, abuse but... children that go outside. <laughs> Abusers yeah. stay warm and where the beer is. That's not, right. you don't, you it, don't flee it's abusing. Just... That's but not also, what that's... <laughs> Yeah. And the, the, it, it always, it's weird because it it's like you're using the vulnerable to fight a battle to crush the vulnerable. You're saying we got to protect women in the bathrooms. We got to protect children from being abused and being told that they can change their gender before they've got their puberty. Ah! 
<laughs> and like, and then the the sports girls sports. When did anybody give a fuck about girls sports <laughs> until now? It's Man, such that bullshit. Whole, yeah, ins- that insanity. And I say this as somebody who like gender wise, who knows? You know. I'm a lady. I'm good with she, her pronouns, because this is a conversation we're having when I'm 40. Like, mm-hmm. but as a kid, I was, I mean, I don't know if I've ever met a more non-binary entity than young me. Like, yeah. you know, and trying to navigate what that is without a cultural conversation beyond Ace Ventura, without language, which is a movie that made me laugh uproariously. Like, you yeah. know, the the crisscrossing yeah. of the messaging that, like, this is a joke, uh, <laughs> that gender is, like... It's, you're a joke if you're trying to figure this out for mm-hmm. yourself. Um, and I'm aware that me having spent 40 winters on this planet, almost 41, uh, makes this conversation different. Where I don't really pursue mm-hmm. like a they-them pronoun because it feels like baggage I don't want to carry. And I'm yeah. sorry to the children because that puts the weight on the children uh, yeah. who are coming up. But I can help carry the bags. I just left mine behind years ago. Like, I don't, you know, yeah, always knowing that gender expression seemed really false and very external and then trying to navigate how I, like, I'll speaking for myself, how I personally want to, like, live and express mm-hmm. has been a lifelong journey. And I'm, you know, because of how hard it's been to be a female and do it right. I put the lipstick on and then the thing on my eyes, right? Is that what you do? And then your pin- the thing on the bottom of you can't close. It's got to be an open hoop. And then you got to, oh, I don't know, like, just not good at it. But I'm also not, you know, bush- I never, I'm not really drawn to, like, any kind of male expression. Those are all external. I'm just wearing a Campbell's Chunky Soup sweater. I- I'm a denim jacket. Like, I do identify as a to I do identify <laughs> As a, as a denim, denim jacket, jacket. Or as a one inch button or as a <laughs> you know whatever i'm feeling yeah but it is hard and i'm excited at, like to it's hard to um uh, i have no patience for this conversation that like the disgusting way this conversation's being pushed forward by the right it has nothing to do with transgenderism it's just weird fascism supremacy shit and as soon as it's not trans kids, it's going to be some other group under the same exact right. boot. So it's so, the boot that's the problem. Yeah. So um, that's, I was going to talk about that. There's a thread I read yesterday, and I can't remember the, the person who um, tweeted it. It was someone I don't follow, but it like got into my feed. And it was very interesting. It was about um, about this idea that trans people before it was gay people gay marriage uh trans uh not trans sorry um interracial marriage was before that you know there was all these things that have come under attack and what the right doesn't really care about those things they don't really care um but what they care about is supremacy and what they care about is uh squashing out secularism that's what this person was talking about that the christian nationalist movement which is different than christianity um and as as someone who grew up christian i am very familiar with the difference between christianity for some people and this white evangelical christian nationalist movement where they have equated jesus with america which Mm -hmm. is truly so opposite of what jesus was about i mean in you know, like 
America is Rome. If we're going to talk about the Bible and and comparing now to then, you know, we're it's an empire and Jesus was anti-empire and he was anti-scapegoating, which is exactly what they're doing. Christian nationalist movement, they're they're what they're supporting and what they're trying to do with all this moving target is there the whole like he was saying that the whole um first they came for that poem remember that thing first they came for the jews Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i said nothing he's like it's not even that it's they're already coming for all of us because these are just scapegoats for ultimately trying to have you know be fascist and have authority over what this country is what this culture is and that it should be christian and it should be american and there is no other voice welcome and they use these different targets to um, try to gain control and to exert power it's power they want power they don't want family values they don't want any of that stuff they don't give a fuck um and that power is like predicated in their mind on a social structure that puts them above people they need to find groups to shove below it doesn't make any sense there's no like yeah well and that's wh- why there's this rotating cast of of enemy of scapegoats under this boot yes of this, of this nationalism essentially and this weird vein of religious thought and it is i mean we know it is christian in the states i think the uh you know, Christian nationalism is the most predominant force, but religious nationalism, period, is a rough go. Um, yeah. you know, we were talking about Russia at the top of the episode, and Putin, famously passionate advocate for LGBT causes. Uh, <laughs> you know, the rest of the world ain't easy either. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it, what brings this conversation of, like, LGBTQ issues and race issues are deeply separate but there is an intersection mm. because the tools of oppression are commonly the same, the same and the tools of dismantling are also often the same. Um, but I mean, the language of some of these modern bills are so physical. It's the bodily autonomy is something that uh, for trans people in particular is mm. really dark and dangerous yeah. and where you know, the LGBT conversation and a conversation about race in the States are often very separate. You know, one horrifying merger is that bodily autonomy and, you know, looking at the language around, uh, you know, that was it that it's that letter from governor Abbott that we were talking about and the don't say gay bill, you know, we're out of the realm of this being jest or conversation. Exactly. It's real and it's bodily. It's, it's of our, it's physical. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, this is what, um, when you bring it back to the jokes conversation, look, if you're a crazy right wing guy and you're out like that and that's your whole thing and you're making those types of jokes, okay, I'm not surprised. I don't like it, but it makes sense. When it's a comedian that you always thought of as reasonable and like, fighting for the little guy doing it, it's really jarring because it's like you're a tool of the oppressor now. And are you okay with that? You're repeating the types of jokes that make it okay, that make it easier for them to take away rights from other people. These people who claim they are for freedom are doing these types of jokes, these hack, first of all, artistically speaking, it's beneath you. 
Second of all, and I'm talking about Dave Chappelle mainly, but there are many, many other examples of people lesser known than him that it's like you thought they were really cool and chill and then all of a sudden they're like out there beating the drum against trans people and it's really disappointing and upsetting to see somebody do that and it's like do you understand that you are part of the boot you know you know yeah i don't understand i've stared at that situation so hard for so long and it's sad uh and, you know, it's not even about, is Chappelle funny? Chappelle's, mm-hmm. a, like, a, a once in a, like, a generational talent. Like, Chappelle oh, yeah. is very, very funny. Yeah. Um, And uh, I don't think he's right about this. No. And, it like, I also don't think the jokes are good. No. That's the other thing. <laughs> I have like... heard and laughed at a shit ton of Dave Chappelle. <laughs> like, I was there for the eight-hour shows. I've watched yeah. the special. I've been in it. Uh, and this isn't also, like, the... It doesn't match the uh, comedic ability. Like, yeah, I mean, that... I would love it if I could say these jokes are transphobic, but I will admit they're funny. Like, you know, that would at least make it easier to hold on to the years in which this was one of the funniest people I had ever watched, uh, yeah. you know, or had ever touched stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I went... It's like... Yeah. Dave Chappelle was one of the first people I saw in New York. Uh, he, he... Long story short, I went to New York to do comedy without ever having seen live stand-up comedy. So I had no idea what it was supposed to be like. And I'm going to... San Francisco the same way? Yeah. That's really funny. I had only seen it on TV. I go to shows and I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> you guys suck. Like, I hate this. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And I'm going to see shows. I want to die just even being in the audience but I also am like, I could do this. And, you know, I'm so all confused and conflicted and scared. And I go to a show. It was like in a place called B3. It was this little basement on Avenue B and 3rd. And Nick Kroll and Jesse Klein were the hosts before they were anybody known by anybody. And the show was packed. I thought the comedians were terrible <laughs> because I didn't understand, like... You know, I'm sure they were funny at times, but I remember just being like, this is so bad, you know? <laughs> and then they're like, we have a very special guest. It's this, you know, and then Dave Chappelle. And so I didn't even know who he was. And someone, my friend that was with me goes, oh, he was in Half-Baked. And I'm like, I've never smoked weed. I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes up on stage and it's truly the one of the funniest things to this day that I've ever seen. And it seemed mm-hmm. like he, I think he was making it up off the top of his head. Now knowing what I know about him, it was so funny. I, and then I, I walked out of there floating. I was like, that is what it can be. The magic. I, I, I was blown away and it was incredible. Well, then the Chappelle show comes out like six months later and uh, he's off and running in my mind as like a hero And so cut to almost, you know, 15 years later, I am almost 20 years later. I I wrote for the Mark Twain Prize for a Mm -hmm. couple of years and one was for when he got it. And by this point, he had already started saying things that I was like, "Eh, I don't really agree with it, but whatever. You know, I'm thinking that was just a misstep. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, while I'm working on the Mark Twain Prize, his special came out 
where he did all the stuff about the alphabet people, that one, mm-hmm. and Daphne and um, all that stuff. And we, everyone watched it the night, you know, it came out because we were working on the, the Mark Twain prize, you know. And we come to work that day and we're all sitting around and everyone's just like, he's such a legend. He's the goat. You know, everyone's like kissing ass because we're in an environment where the entire purpose of the project is to kiss his ass. Mm -hmm. And we had already started discussions of like, who is Dave Chappelle? And like these really broad conversations about what the tone of the of the show would be and what what ideas we had to celebrate him to show people who he is and why he's getting the Mark Twain prize. That's the purpose of the prize is to explain to people why they're getting the prize. And, um, and so he comes out or or, so the special comes out and we're all, and everyone's kind of like praising and I'm just not really saying anything. And I'm just like, yeah. And I go, and then someone goes, he doesn't give a fuck about what people think of him. And I went, now, hold on. I said, he cares. A lot. He cares <laughs> so much. And I said, from what I saw, and I, I didn't say what my real thoughts were about those jokes. You know, the alphabet people joke, that's on this list, practically, that I'm talking about. That is like yeah. third year, fourth year comedy. That's not legend comedy. That was like, I wrote, I would have written that. I wouldn't have written that because I never would have made fun of like that community in any way because it just wouldn't make sense to me to do that. But he did it. And I thought his joke was so rudimentary stand up. It was like fifth grade level, you know, compared to his PhD level. And, um, oh, you came up with a little metaphor. How cute. You know, that's what that felt like. Right. And so he, he, so, but I, I didn't say that. I go, I think he cares a whole lot. I go, half of that special was him responding to criticism from people online. Like, I was like, can you imagine one of us? Because there was a couple stand-ups in the room. I said, can you imagine doing stand-up about something that someone said to you online? Like, how? Not, yeah, and it's not just on stage in a bar. Right, right. This is on a, a large stage. This, this is, is your you special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is what you have to say. It's special. It's right there in the name. Right. And so I think James, there's that comedian, James, what is his fucking name? Cat Alicaster? Caster? I don't remember his fuck. Yeah. James Alicaster, I think you're right. He has that joke like, James a caster. A caster. Yeah, he has that yeah. joke about you can't joke about anything anymore. It's really funny. I recommend looking it up about um, comedians like like Dave, like Ricky Gervais, like the, spending their time in their special just saying they can't joke about anything anymore, and then and then starting. On a special, you're getting paid a bazillion dollars. It makes yeah. no sense. He's getting you seventy are, million you, dollars. There's a spotlight yeah. on a microphone, and yeah. what you have to say is that nobody's letting you say anything. Truly, it's exhausting. You can't fight against that because it is a fallacy, yeah. and they know it. And like, you know, yeah. There's nothing to yes, being silenced. Talking about how silenced you are from a syndicated platform is an irony I will never understand. Yeah, and so that experience of doing the Mark Twain Prize was really really emotionally like a roller coaster like on one hand I was so disappointed in him I was ashamed of working on it at times because I was like 
am I endorsing that behavior, you know, and um, I wouldn't do the Mark Twain prize for him now, given how it Mm -hmm. has transpired since then. But at the time, you know, I was like, well, I was still in my mind making excuses for not really making excuses for him, but making excuses for myself (laughs) for needing to work on it. And also you get to work with like legends, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and Sarah Silverman, you know, you're yeah. That shit is amazing. The Mark Twain Prize is a great gig if you can get it. So, um, so I, I'm like helping Bradley Cooper with his speech. You know, it's an experience. All right. I'm at the after party, literally like rubbing shoulders with Q-tip. Like it, it was a fucking awesome experience. But the night before the, um, the awards, we filmed him doing a surprise show at the DC Improv, which was like his home club. And mm-hmm. his set was like 90 minutes long. Uh, and I'm surprised he didn't go longer. Um, but it was so <laughs> fucking funny. I mean, I was just tears were rolling down. At one point, he starts uh, and then he starts telling the story about how, you know, and she's getting he's getting emotional about getting the Dave, uh, getting the Mark Twain prize. He's getting emotional about it. And he's talking about how his journey from, you know, walking off the set of his show, the whole running away to Africa thing. Um, and he said he went away for 12 years. You know, he goes, I went away for 12 years, you know, in his dramatic uh, 12 years, you know, mm-hmm. and he talked about how he never thought he would get back to it and that he would never be as good anymore and that it was over for him, that he had fucked it all up and it was over. And then he talked about how he got back. And I had tears in my eyes because I felt like in my own little way, I had gone away from my glory, you know, of having my talk Mm -hmm. show and it being canceled. And where was my career now? Even though I've had a fine career since then, it was like, he inspired me to not give up and to keep going. And I was just, I, in that moment, I loved him. And he, I, and then, but then he turned, <laughs> then he starts going, man, fellas, guys, he keeps saying men. Like, he's like, guys, you, these guys out here doing comedy, <laughs> fellas, you gotta, you can't let them cancel you because what we're doing his important I mean he got so up on his fucking high horse about cancel culture and he kept talking to his fellow comics as if they were only men and I was so fucking annoyed by that and I and it was so dramatic he was like they want to kill us you know (laughs) he's like they want us to die (laughs) if stand-up comedy was important we wouldn't be doing it in disgusting rooms like it, uh, with a, <laughs> a yeah. parking shared parking lot with a strip club across the street from a dirt racetrack. Like, not saying that those places shouldn't have valuable art, but we don't. Stand up comedy is there to sell alcohol. Like we know that, right? Fundamentally, that the whole point, communication between humans, storytelling, like humor is yeah. elevated, eternal, something humans will always do. But stand up comedy, those three words together as an industry, is a booze selling platform. That's a thousand percent all it is. It happens in shitty rooms all across the country. And I can say that out loud because I'm not even trying to get booked anymore. And I didn't even when I tried. So it's like, (laughs) you can't, like. But that, yeah. And so that's, We can revere humor. um, We can revere art. But let's back off being mm -hmm. so precious about stand up comedy because that's not how we take care of it. 
Right. We don't, we as artists don't demand more, you know. Well, <laughs> we that's still what stay somebody. in garbage places and do it in garbage places. You know, somebody made a really good point, and I don't remember who this was, but I was talking to them about Dave Chappelle. I mean, I, I you know, this, I'm bringing this conversation up, you know, after it was at the height of, of com- conversation. Um, but, and there's so many things to say, so I don't want to go on forever, but, um, somebody's made a good point. They were like, look at all the comedians out there that have gone on to major fame and what they've done to help fellow comics. You know, you, that was one of the things when oh. these, when these specials oh. came out more recently <gasps> where Dave really, we're really di- doubled down. Yeah. We're when dipping he, our toe into some waters. Yeah. So hang on. Yeah, he, there's a list. Oh. So hang on. He, Five he, um, people could do it easy. There's a list of 10 to 15 that could do it, especially by banding together. If comedy wanted, better yeah. environments yeah. to perform in comedy could have it oh yeah so and we don't no because we're rugged individuals mm-hmm. so anyway it's funny the, because you can just pick one manager if you just picked the 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 clients of one manager in comedy mm-hmm. yep. and took you know let's take another 10 percent. why not that one yeah. manager gets it from everyone yeah and just Go ahead and open some comedy clubs in like secondary markets and watch how everything would just explode and change lives yeah. and change art and change communication. But yeah, there's so much that could be instead. done. Right. How about you buy some cars? You know, why yeah. not? Yeah, I mean, and, and so there's there's all of that. And one of the things that he did in that special, the the, the one that really start kickstarted the more recent controversies, um, he's put out so many, I can't keep up, but, um, and they're all about the same thing. <laughs> and, and They're all about how he's getting canceled and how I can't talk anymore. Yeah. He's found a perfect feedback loop. And in the sense that he is also a shark. Hats and off. he's turned it into a battle between him and also b- between black people and trans people, which is... Super insane, as if and trans black people don't their exist. Real conversation needs to happen. Like, there's a very oh, white yeah. dominated uh, yeah. strain to the LGBT movement that erases black identity. There's complex yeah. cultural issues about sexuality in every side of right. society. And, like, that's real. This split, the way that the movements that have been necessary to protect people have been pitted against each other and don't talk to each other very well, that's something to have a real conversation about. The sad part is that's not the conversation that Dave is having. And the true bummer is I believe he's capable of it. It's just not what he's doing. He, right. He could have been brilliant with it, but instead he chose to really be shitty about it. And, um, you know, and then it just, he, in in that when he threw Daphne, his friend, quote unquote friend his trans friend under the bus who was dead and couldn't who can't speak up and tell her side of the story you're hearing stories come out that the way he's portraying himself of course anytime a comedian tells a story like that even the first time he brought her up oh did it happen just the other day just the other day huh yeah yeah it felt the whole thing felt served you know, to make him look like the hero of the story. And uh, we, and that's what we do to every back, story. We tailor it to work yeah. on stage. It's not re- what really happened. It's yeah. the version that I can tell you that works on stage. And backing it, using her to cover for his, you know, he used her as a prop. And then apparently he had her, the story he tells in the next special is about her bombing. So he's like insulting so cool. her. Yeah. And, you know, 
it was, but again, trying to make himself sound like the hero in this situation. And then, um, you know, so look, is Dave Chappelle allowed to say all this shit? Yes, obviously. And he's compensated very well for it. But can I say he's a fucking dick for doing that? Yes. And he's not, he, at the end of that special, he goes, my tribe are comedians, you know, like, or something. He put me in that tribe. Dave Chappelle put me personally in that tribe. Wait, there's a picture of you in it? He dropped on, no, he dropped on a show I did in the lab and then stuck around. There were two more comics that were supposed to follow Chappelle. And I was I was on that list. So instead of it, like, you have to rise to that. And it's Chappelle on stage, so he's drinking and smoking. So since I was coming up, he looked over, I was being introduced, and he says, oh, it's a girl. So I just grabbed the mic. Like, I didn't wait for the rest of my introduction. And then I lit a cigarette, and I made them bring me a drink. And then I spent the next 45 minutes bantering with Chappelle. Like, (laughs) just going back and forth. At one point, he interrupted a joke before a punchline, and I just roasted him. And then I told him the punchline, and he did that knee-slappy thing with his microphone. Like, I hit it. Golden moments. Like... I I have yeah. I have it on tape. <laughs> I made Dave Chappelle laugh. He yeah, told and me you're I allowed to feel. He told me stop TV writing, yeah. stop acting. You are a comedian. He told me I'm in the tribe. I'm a weirdo. Like I don't know where I fall on any gender spe- or sexuality spectrum. And I, like we're people who don't agree on every issue. Not on religion. Not on big societal questions. And comedian to comedian, we had a good time that night. At the very end of the night, everybody's saying goodnight. I still have a microphone and we're all saying goodbye. And I say, Dave, I don't agree with you on everything, but I think we can all agree that you're fucking hilarious. Like, I can disagree with the points, but you're going to put some shit I do not agree with into some very funny jokes. And I swear, when I tell you that Donnell Rollins had to be held off by improv staff. Now, I'm going to pause and say that we were all drinking a little bit that night. Mm -hmm. And my night ended with Donnell Rollins coveted, like, in my bosom, slow dancing to 90s jam. So, like... (laughs) Donnell and I are cool, but there like, was a moment. We're not even allowed to say I disagree with you. Like Whoa. there was someone ready to throw hands when all I said at the end of a night when like we all agree that we're both funny here. <laughs> like I, you know, me saying I don't agree with you about everything was enough. And it was Donnell saying this could have been your night. You could have put this on Instagram and it could have changed your whole life. And you had to come for him. You had to come for the champ at the end. And even then, Donnell, no, I couldn't. I can't take this moment with Chappelle and I and use it to rise up because I don't get to rise yeah. up with that group. Like, I don't. He's not going to take you on. Did he take That's you on the road? I rise right. Because I don't get to come up with all the people that would support me. I'd have to leave them behind or hurt or in some way that I just don't want to. That was. Oh, my right. I see what you're and saying. I know what he was saying because he's right. I could have Instagram live that like Chappelle and me and this mm-hmm. is it. And right. I'm fucking famous, whatever. But like, no, I can't. And I knew it in yeah. the moment. And maybe I wouldn't have been able to do what I did that night if I had thought, like, this is it. But I knew it wasn't. <laughs> it was just a time in a room with 45 wow. people in it to destroy But That like, is a really... I'm not surprised that they're so... No. You know, because look, do we are we surprised that Dave Chappelle and his crew are defensive? I mean, like... No. Look, his entire... A body of work has become defensiveness like that is what it is now and it's really brave of you to do that I mean that I don't think if you're listening and you're not a comedian what Caitlin just told you me is blowing my mind (laughs) the level of bravery that takes is really intense and I the few times that I have stood up to people in in comedy settings like that 
it is really hard to do and you suffer consequences for it, whether they're immediate in the moment or later down the line and you never know for real what 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 the long effect of it was and yeah, who knows maybe it could have been opening for <laughs> and miserable but that <laughs> you're right in that you in that moment and this is what comedians are faced with all the time is choices of forwarding your own career versus doing what's right for you and for the people you care about and you know, I posted my picture of me with Dave Chappelle after writing for the Mark Twain Prize, and I felt really conflicted about doing that. And I wrote in the comment, I said, I disagree with him on a lot, you know, but these are my feelings about this. And it was a really incredible experience, um, but also thought provoking and challenging. You know, I wanted to make it clear that like, I had these complicated feelings about it. Would I do that now? Probably not because it's gone so far with him and he has gone so low and cheap. Same. I probably would have left the club if like at this yeah. point. And that yeah. sucks because that moment suck. was really golden. Like, and it could in a different era, five years before it would have been life changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but who knows if I would have risen to it. You know, it was like a moment thing. But yeah, like I am proud that Dave Chappelle thinks I'm funny and like and I'm heart like it breaks it breaks the heart, you know. Right. That it's uh, man. That it's not somebody that I want to work closer with. Like it's not no a relationship right. That's that I it's so build. disappointing. I think is the main feeling that most comedians I know have felt. And um, you know, after after those specials came out and all of the uproar was happening, I I saw a video on TikTok by this guy who um was a former comedian, you know, I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, he's a very sweet, gay, black man. And he was talking about how it felt to watch that special. And he was talking about how it's like he didn't exist, you know, that it was, you had to pick a team. And he said, similar to what you said, he was like, there is a great conversation there to be had about race and intersection in these movements. And, um, but his point was, and he, he was talking about punching down you know, the concept of punching down and all those things. And do jokes have an actual effect, negative effect on society, those types of jokes. And he said, you know, as a teen, being a gay black boy, you know, this was the height of In Living Color being on TV. And he goes, you know, I loved that show. And I thought it was so funny. He goes, but whenever they did a joke making fun of gay people, I knew that the next day at school, those jokes would be made at me. And it's like what you said, you know, it's, um, that's what hurts. You know, it's like you, the jokes get spread and it's what happens. Ben Shapiro, you know, Ben Shapiro is actively fighting for the bodily autonomy to be taken away from women and men of all stripes. I mean, it's, yes, uh, and all uh, any gender identity. I mean, so he's a political force out there repeating these kinds of jokes. So as a comedian, that's my question is, do you want to be a tool of the white Christian nationalist movement? And it's just such a deep misunderstanding. Like there's different motivations for laughter, right? There's like the kind of so it, it, like biologically why we laugh, why we make this noise, what this expression means. And mm-hmm. there's like, I don't know that it's funny when we're, like baring our teeth and making a noise to say we're not going to bite like 
that kind of like when you take to the playground something you know is going to hurt somebody's feelings and everybody around you goes like ha 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 like we are in trees telling each other this isn't we're I'm not actually going to bite you this is a situation where like like biologically that's what laughter is in that moment is like a teeth bearing expression mm-hmm. of like threat diffusion mm. uh where the other way this could go is dangerous Statement right. made. Two paths. One is dangerous and the other is diffusion. And the way we diffuse is to literally bare our teeth and make that noise. There's like so many other reasons we laugh that are joyous, like being presented with information that is incongruent. You mm-hmm. know, take my wife, please. Incongruent. Mm-hmm. Ha 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 ha. Very funny. Like, although not a funny example, I suppose, in yeah. the sense that that is abusive in some way. But you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Uh, <laughs> chickens crossing the road is also dangerous. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just such a dark way to make people laugh. and But they yeah. laughed. It's like, okay, but why matters? Because some of the reasons we literally biologically yeah. laugh are kind of dark. And maybe that's not what you want to avoid. Right. It's like, yeah, sure. If you want to live in a vacuum and you're only monitoring your success as a comedian based on laughs, there's lots of different ways to get laughs. And if you don't care yeah. how you get them, well, at least just fucking own it. Don't make it a fucking war between... And, and because don't a demand- banana peel would beat us both every fucking time. Somebody falling down without being injured is going to be funnier than anything we could say about any issue. <laughs> right. Ever. And like- the hypocrisy, too, of like acting like we have to all fall in. I've talked about this so much. All fall in line and be loyal because we're all fellow comics. While Dave Chappelle is calling out Hannah Gatsby on his fucking special yeah. where he's or the next thing he put out that where he said he was done talking about it then he literally puts out another clip of him talking <laughs> about it like the next <laughs> week and he throws hannah gatsby by name under the bus and it's like okay so she must not be a comedian in your mind and the message is if you criticize us like what donnell said to you if you criticize us you're no longer part of the game you're not a real comic it's such a lie and it's just a further way of of otherizing i hate that term like i'm trying i don't mean to use academic terms here but like (laughs) of excluding people which Mm -hmm. is again i think comedy is about bringing people together for me for me it could be about something else for somebody else (laughs) but anyway i just say you know if you're a comic and you're you're working on jokes And I've thought of jokes that were really fucked up before and thought to myself, that is funny. But do I want to say that? And I've said things. I've told jokes I should apologize for. I've told jokes. Me too. I've grown as a person and realized that things I've said in the past were dated and probably hurtful to people who were in the audience. I did it. And I should. Me too. And the only way I can uh, atone is to perform better in the future. And And to also... If somebody offers critique, as much as it hurts, as defensive as you get, I know I've been there. So maybe let it let it sink in a little, and and just ask yourself, look in the mirror, and go, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to hurt people? Now, sometimes complaints are you might you might go you might analyze it and go, you know what, that was one person who maybe didn't really get it and they went too far yeah there are people out there that are too sensitive for their own good and they can't take a joke but that's not the same thing as like a huge portion of the population going hey man we don't like that you know it's nobody's coming up to you and being like that bit you did shattered my heart 
it ruined my identity that bit you did about airplane food. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, like, that's what I'm talking like, the about. Topic like, actually does count. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had you know, I had a joke about, um, and it was in my special about um, uh, comfort animals, mm-hmm. like therapy animals, and I was talking about the difference between a service animal and a therapy animal, and that there is a mm-hmm. difference. Like, one has mm-hmm. to go through rigorous years of training. You know, <laughs> one is a hero. You would literally let them fly the plane. <laughs> you know, like I salute you, little doggy. Welcome aboard. You know, they got their little jacket on, and they can like hat, det- little pin. They can sniff cancer. Like these these dogs are heroes. And then there's the animal that. Somebody just decided is their comfort animal by filling out a form online and now they can get it on the plane because they didn't want to pay to put it underneath. You know what I mean? There's a spectrum of experience. So I'm making a joke about the animals on the airplane and I was doing that joke um, at colleges and some college kids were a little brisk, like a little uh, um, bristly at it. They were a little bit like acting like I was shaming mental health issues and I was like, yeah, I mean, that's something for me to think about. I want to be careful. And I thought I took that in and I thought I want to be careful with my wording because I want to be understood. It's yes. my responsibility to be clear. If I don't mean the joke a certain way, it's my responsibility to word it clearly. <laughs> totally. Yes. You because know. There is, and you just made the link, right? Like service dogs have to be trained and then they're like, they become these amazing heroes. Yeah. And then like these support animals don't. It's like. Yeah, it, nobody's being supported here. Like the yeah. emotion, the person who needs emotional support is very stressed out by this nibbling chihuahua. Like, and I say this as a person who's taken their dog for free on a plane because of one of those notes. Yeah, in the joke, I go to the extreme of like the, the, a woman brings an owl on the plane, you know, and it's yeah. like, what happens when your comfort animal is bringing me an anxiety attack, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> and a mouse pellet. Yeah, yeah, I got all kinds of jokes about the owl being on the plane and like, um. So anyway, it's it's I love talking about this stuff. I welcome feedback because I think it makes me a better comic and it's sad to see someone and that's I think part of the problem with Dave is that Dave is so naturally talented. I mean seriously, he got up on the yeah. stage of the Kennedy Center uh, at the biggest honor you can get in comedy in our country with the legends of comedy around him. Morgan Freeman opened the show. Um uh, you know, musicians or John Legend's playing. I mean, it's just an incredible. There's celebrities in the audience that just wanted to come see it. I mean, that's the level <laughs> that it was. And um, it was so incredible. And he gets up there to give his acceptance speech and he improvised it. And yeah, it, it, it. he didn't prepare. And it was the one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And so I think that with Dave, he's never had to, I mean... He talked about, you know, he has bombed. It's not like he doesn't know what struggle is in comedy, but he has a level of in- innate talent um, and hard work from because he started so young an experience that he is not used to th- failing mm-hmm. in, in, the, in his stand up. And so I think it's it's been a shock to the system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's part of getting older and being rich. It's harder to be in touch and to tell these. Well, let ed- no one you know. say that this is about us being pickled on funny ladies that don't think anybody's funny. Dave Chappelle's very funny. And also this yeah. shit isn't. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Dave we Chappelle have is. the authority like, to. <laughs> right. It's like. <laughs> I've seen them. I can tell the difference. These ones aren't yeah. the good ones. They just oh, this aren't. is one of those <laughs> things where. Good. 
people go, well, you obviously have never, you didn't listen to the specials. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And I'm not a fucking idiot. I, I know more about comedy than you do, you dumb shit. Like, <laughs> and it's, you know, so anyway, I, uh, we're, we could go on about it forever. I just want. Will, but on future weeks, yeah. I have a feeling. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Sometimes comedians, they're. Their outward kind of like philosophy and brand is like, I'm a truth teller. I'm, you know, they take it very seriously, like we were talking about. But then the joke itself is so lowbrow or base or hacky um, and, you know, just low hanging fruit. What's the thinking? You know, if you're such a thinker, such a great mind, you know, what's your process for writing that level of joke? <laughs> I imagine it's something kind of like this. This week on Joke Line. It was a crazy time in American culture. A global pandemic, inflation, poverty, civil unrest. We were on the brink of World War III. There was only one thing I could do, and that was to write a joke about it. All of it. One single joke that would change not only the comedy game, but the world. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a tough one, man. But when you've been in the game as long as I have, you learn something. It's called writing what you know. And if there's anything I know, it's the risk of myocarditis in young men after receiving their second dose of Moderna, as well as the destabilization of crypto markets as a result of Russian military aggression in the Ukraine. So I think to myself, how am I going to make a joke that encapsulates this moment, right? What would the greats do? Carlin, Hicks, Pryor, Chappelle, Huckabee. You see, it's a comedian's job to take every little thing that's happening in that creepy corn maze in the back of your little head and just like make sense of it for you. Do you think this is a game? This is serious stuff. And that's when it came to me. The perfect joke about society. What if I took the abbreviation LGBTQ, which is already too long and hard to remember, and I added a bunch of extra letters and punctuation onto the end of it? R. J. W, dollar sign, L-M-N-O-P, fuck it, I'll throw XYZ on there too. I maybe even throw in a number just to really blow the whole thing wide open. I knew this joke was hot. Oh, we're talking 8.8 .8 on the cancel culture Richter scale. Yeah, it's risky stuff, but if I don't say it, who will? Who will? They could try to take away my freedom, but they will never take away my ability to shoehorn a transphobic joke into completely unrelated conversations. Was I afraid? Nah, man, because I'm a stand-up comic. I'm made of steel. And if you don't like it, I will never stop whining about it for the rest of my life. You can count on that. <laughs> so we've run out of time. Um, Caitlin, thank you so much for this conversation and your uh, raw truth that you have shared <laughs> with us. I really, I actually really do appreciate everything you shared because um, I know you have a unique perspective on this on this topic, and um, it means a lot. Yeah. Good luck with all your projects this week. Thank you. I got a stove. I'm gonna go cook. So you, excited. You got a new stove. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Okay, let's let's talk about it next time. <laughs> I want to hear. Time. Okay. I'm so excited. Bye. Bye.